Greetings to you from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one in the wilderness of this world and life. Cry, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we pressed further on the subject of faith in application or living daily by faith. And we looked at this on the basis of the word of God and faith. Because the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, there can be no faith apart from the word of God. So if you say you're exercising faith, it must, the basis for your faith must be, uh, must be on the word of God. Thus, we noted as follows, that based on the word of God, you must be convinced, if you are going to live by faith, about the veracity of the word of God. There can be no equivocation about it. You must know for a fact that the word of God is true. The word of God is truthfully stated. The word of God is truth. When God speaks about Satan saying something negative or saying something wrong, God is making that statement truthfully. It is what Satan said. It doesn't mean that God agrees with Satan. On the other hand, when God says something about himself, it is the truth that God is saying. Because God always speaks the truth. God cannot lie. Secondly, we noted that you must be hearing from God through prayer on a daily basis. Because there are many things that God wants to speak to you about happenings. And he's not going to tell you things if you are not in the place of prayer, in the place of personal communion with him on a daily basis. Thirdly, we, we said that you must do whatever it is that God says to you to do. It may not agree with the science of that thing. It may, it may not agree with the um, studies that have been prepared on that particular thing. But insofar as it is God who is asking you to do it, you do it. We saw the example of Peter when the Lord Jesus asked Peter to uh, cast his net to uh, push further at sea and then cast his net for, for, for a drought. And he, he prevaricated a little bit, but then he said, well, at thy word, I will do what you are asking me to do. And he did it and he came out with such a large catch because he threw, instead of throwing his nets, he threw just one net and I mean, his net began to break. Fourthly, we said that you need to keep holding on to the word of God, regardless of what may be happening to the contrary. We looked at the example of Abraham who believed in hope against hope, even though he was old, he was weak. He had no, there was, we could say medically, there was no way he could produce a child. Yet he believed in God and God made it possible for him to give birth, to, 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 um, to inseminate uh, Sarah, his wife, who was 90, it was 89 when he was 99. And they brought forth a child. Fifthly, we said that if something has no antecedent, but God speaks about it, you follow what God says. You don't, you don't have to wait for whether it has happened before, before you follow God. As long as God says that you should do it, just do it. You don't need to have a historical background for you to follow the word of God. The word of God does not depend on history. In fact, sometimes God just wants to do something new. He has said it a number of times in the words, behold, I do a new thing. Number six, or sixthly, even when God says you should, uh, you, you should do um, something, and that thing may not be in your favor. Just believe God and do it. 
you, you may think that it's not in your favor, but do it because God wants to prove something. God wants to show something. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 2. It says, when you are passing through uh, uh, fire, God will be there with you. If you are passing through the danger, dangerous waters, God will be there with you. Sometimes God just wants to prove to people that he is God. And so he will put you in situations where he can prove that he is God. For example, Daniel in the lion's den was to prove that God can seal the lips, the, 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 the mouth of lions so that they will not be able to, to, to attack his own child. But when the enemy was, when the enemies of Daniel were thrown into the, into, into the lion's den, the lion consumed them up. Now, I am not asking you to go and enter a lion's den just to prove that you're a child of God. No. If you find yourself in such a situation, God will prove himself that he is indeed your father and your protector. Seventhly, even if you don't see the result of your acting on God's word, just keep at it. Just keep doing. Don't give up. Remember what the Bible tells us. It says, you keep on asking and you will receive. You keep on seeking and you will find. You keep on knocking and the door will be opened up to you. In Luke chapter 11, I think verse 5 to 13, the Lord gave the illustration of the, the friend who had gone to bed and this other friend came and said, oh, I have somebody who has just arrived. Please, I need, uh, I, I need bread to be able to give to him. He said, the guy said to him, look, I've, I've locked my doors. My children are asleep and we're all asleep actually. We can't open the door. But he just kept banging, he kept banging, he kept banging. He said, even though he did not come out to give him that bread because he's his friend, he came out to give him because the guy kept knocking. So you keep, just keep at it. Just keep at it. And God will bring forth that word that he has spoken. Just continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to knock. And God will do what he alone can do. Sometimes our asking, especially when God has told us that it is done, would be translated in the form of thanksgiving. Father, I thank you because I know that you've already done it. For indeed you have told me that you've already done it. And I believe your word. So I give you thanks in advance for what you are about to do in my life. Finally, we noted that every word that God has spoken to us about will surely come to pass. Why? The reason is simple. The word of God has no expiration date. The only time that word can be said to expire is when its task, its assignment on our lives has been accomplished. So the word of God does not return to God void. It returns to God to tell God, it is done. It is finished. It is accomplished. Today, we want to conclude on this subject of faith and faith in application. Actually, the subject of faith it transverses the entire Bible. So if we don't conclude on it, we could just keep going and keep going and keep going because it's basically how we live. But as we conclude today in this particular broadcast, what we want to do is to learn lessons from Israel in the wilderness because Israel in the wilderness, they were unable to live with, to, 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 to walk with God by faith. And we need to learn that lesson because I find that there are many believers, well, so-called, who say they are believers, and yet they do not believe in God. They are not acting in faith toward God. So we're going to read um, from Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to read it from verse 7, and I'll just read through to chapter 4 and stop at verse 2. Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verse 7, right through chapter 4, verse 2. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, as while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The Bible starts by saying that the Holy Spirit is saying to us, is speaking to us, the Holy Spirit is admonishing us, the Holy Spirit is warning us, the Holy Spirit is encouraging us. It says today, if you will hear his voice, if you will hear the voice of God, if you will hear the word of God, don't be like Israel. Don't copy them. Don't follow the obstinacy in the heart of Israel. He's, he begins to outline the challenges that Israel provided God, as it were, in the wilderness. How they acted contrary to God in the wilderness. They refused to walk with God by faith. He says, let us learn these lessons and learn them well so that we do not act after the same manner. Why? There is a rest for the children of God. The place of rest is eternity, is in heaven. There is that place still there for all those who would believe God, who will hear the voice of God, who will actually, the word is hearken to the voice of God, who will hear and do. The word hearken is, it means to hear and to engage, to do that word that you have heard. So if you would hearken to the voice of God, number one, do not harden your heart. A hardened heart is a heart that where the word is coming, it bounces off. It has no access to the heart. The heart is so hardened that it doesn't matter what is being spoken, it bounces off. It is a heart of rebellion. It is a heart that refuses the word of God entry. It refuses the word of God access. It's a hardened heart. It says don't harden your heart. It is something that many people do. When they hear the word of God, they just harden their hearts and say, I'm not going to do this. He says, don't do that. Because that would be acting against faith. 
acting against God. Do not be rebellious. In Genesis chapter 3, we know the story. Eve had a conversation with Satan and she believed Satan and hardened her heart against God, against the word of God. God had told them not to eat of the tree, of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan came and convinced her that God was lying. And so she opened up her heart to receive the word of Satan, but shut her heart against the word of God. She hardened her heart. God called it rebellion. We actually call it disobedience. That is a very light word. But God used the, the word that it should be, the stronger word, rebellion against him and his word. They shut their hearts against God and opened their hearts up to Satan. The same thing in the wilderness. The children of Israel shut their hearts against God, but opened their hearts to any other thing that, would, that, would, that was against God. Rebellion, uh, uh, grumbling, murmuring, anything else except the word of God. He says in verse 8, says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. These were people who saw the, 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 the wonders of God in Egypt. How God kept dealing with Egypt. They saw the supernatural power of God in Egypt. Yet, they shut their hearts to God. They did not recount, they did not remember the deeds of God in Egypt. They, I mean, even if they didn't remember or see anything, at least one thing that was so vivid, that should have been vivid in their memory, was the crossing of the Red Sea. They saw the Red Sea part as a result of Moses raising his, his, his rod at, uh, 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 towards the sea. They crossed the sea on dry ground. It was not muddy. It was not wet. The waters of the Red Sea were walls on one side or the other. They, they walked across the Red Sea. And then they saw when the Egyptians pursued them, that as, as they were getting closer, suddenly they noticed that the Egyptian chariots, the, 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 the wheels were just falling off. Crippling, God crippled them in the middle of the Red Sea. When they finished crossing, they saw how Moses stretched his stretched forth his, his rod and the, the waters closed and the Egyptians were all dead. They saw that, even if they didn't see any other thing. Then they went, then they walked a few days in the in the wilderness and were thirsty. And when they when they came to a body of water and they drank, the body the water was bitter. They were going to rebel against Moses. Then Moses cried to God. And God showed Moses a tree and said, cut the branch of that tree, put it in the water. He put it in the water and they drank. And the water, the same water that was bitter, suddenly became sweet. Then the time came when they were hungry for food. And God said to Moses, I'm going to feed them. Moses said, do you know how many people we are talking about? About two million people. God said, don't worry, I will feed them. And the next day, they saw manna falling. And they, they ate manna every single day for 40 years. We are talking of a 360-day year. We're talking of 14,400 days every day. Without fail, they had manna. Except, of course, on the seventh day. And on the seventh day, for the seventh, God gave them a double portion on the sixth day to take care of the sixth day and the seventh day. And every day, he told them, don't keep anything behind. They still kept. These were a hardened, a hardened-hearted people. The Bible called them stiff-necked. They took more than was necessary. And God was rushed. What kind of people are these? And then on the sixth day, when they were supposed to take double, they didn't take double. Some of them went out on the seventh day when God said they shouldn't go out. God said, who are these people? 
They had a hard heart. Do not harden your heart towards the word of God. Listen to what God is saying and do it. Secondly, he wants us, when we hear the word of God, he says, do not stray away from God unto another in your heart. Many of us would rather believe the doctors, would believe somebody who is saying something contrary to what God is saying, but will not believe God. The Bible, Bible defines that as the, the uh, people who have, who err in their heart. They err. They turn away from the truth in their heart. In verse 10 of Hebrews 3 says, Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. False doctrine always lead us away from faith in God. When you believe any doctrine, any message that is contrary to the word of God, you will stray away from God. This is one of the key reasons why when a person becomes born again, the very first thing we want to do about that fellow is to kill the flesh. By the grace of God, I'm trusting God that maybe that will be the next thing we want to discuss after we finish with faith. The issue of the flesh, which is also defined as the the natural man or the nature of man that desires to sin. If that nature is still in you, you will always be led astray. You will always err in your heart because that nature errs in the heart. It was that nature which was in Eve and Adam that made them to go astray from following after God and they followed after Satan. The third thing we, we, we are seeing here is he says, and they have not known my ways. They have not known the ways of God. You need to seek to know the way of God or the ways of God. You need to seek to know the ways of God. In Psalm 103 verse 7, the Bible tells us that Moses knew the ways of God. The children of Israel merely saw his miracles. There's a difference between knowing the way of God and just seeing miracles. I give you a simple illustration. When a woman goes to the market and buys the stuff that she needs to prepare food, she brings them, she cleans them, she does all those things and does the cooking. Those are the ways of preparing food. You go to the market, you buy the food stuff that you need, the quantities that you need. You come home, you, you prepare them in their various proportions. You mix them up in the pot or wherever you want to mix them up. You do the grinding, the blending, whatever you need to do. And then you just mix everything up in the pot, put it on the fire for a number of minutes and so on, so, and food is ready. Now, the children in the home, they see the food. That's all they see. But the woman, in the, 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 the mother of the home, knows the ways by which she can prepare the meal. We need to seek to know the ways of God. How God moves, how God does things, rather than just the thing that God has done. When you know the ways of God, you will come to understand that there are some things that will take time before you see them manifest. People just want to see those things on the table. They don't care about how it comes about. They don't care about the prayers that go into it. For example, when there was famine in Israel, there was no rain for the space of three and a half years. Elijah came, discomfited the prophets of Baal, and he heard the sound of the abundance of rain. And he told Ahab, I said, Ahab, you go up and eat, because I'm hearing the sound of the abundance of rain. So whilst Ahab went to eat, Elijah went to the mountaintop to pray. He bowed his head between his knees, not wanting to look up, but sent a servant to go and check seven times. 
And the fellow came and said, at, at the seventh time, said, I see a tiny cloud, just as the tiny hand of a man's hand. Elijah said, go and tell Ahab to quickly get down and run to Jezreel before the rain catches up with him because indeed the rain is about to fall. Ahab just saw rain. He didn't know how it came about. He didn't know what went into the rain. The Bible is saying to us, we need to know the ways of God. We need to understand that it is by faith that God is going to do it. By our trusting in him, by our depending on him, by our holding on to him, by our believing in him. There are times when we may not know all of the ways of God. Then at those times, we just trust him. That's all. The Bible says that God's ways are past finding out. So there are times when his ways will not be known to us. We just put our trust in him. There was a time when the, the, the Shunammite woman, the Shunammite woman's son had died. And she ran to Elijah and said to and when she was dragging Elijah, and Elijah was wondering, what is going on? The woman didn't say anything. Elijah said, something has happened and the Lord has not revealed it to me. So even though God did not reveal it to him, Elisha still went to go and pray to give that woman her dead son, her dead son back alive. So yes, there are times when we may not know all of the ways of God, but we must trust him and hold on to him. The fourth thing that we are warned here in um, verse 12, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Don't be like Israel. Eliminate every evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief is actually a decision we make. We actually decide not to believe. It's a decision we make. In John chapter 21, after the Lord had risen from death, from, from, from death he appeared to his disciples. He appeared to 10 of, 10 of the apostles. And uh, one was missing. And I believe that that was done on purpose. Because God wanted to send a message to him and to us. So, the Bible tells us. Sorry, that's John chapter 20. I'm sorry, John chapter 20. That's where that story is. So, the Lord came and appeared to 10 of the apostles. Apart, except for Thomas, who wasn't there. And they saw him. They rejoiced. Then, in verse... Uh, then, uh, when... Thomas came. When, when Thomas came, they told Thomas that, oh, the Lord has appeared to us. We saw him with our very eyes. And Thomas said to them, I am not going to believe except I put my hand. Let, let, let me read that. Um, let me read from verse 24 of John chapter 2. It says, now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. It was a decision he made. I'm not going to believe it. Ten people had told him, we've seen the Lord. They couldn't have been conning him. And I'm sure the other apostles, the other disciples were there who would have verified that indeed the Lord appeared. But he said, I'm not going to believe until I put my hand there. There are people like Thomas. They have an evil heart of unbelief. Even when they have seen a miracle, they say, no, we won't believe it. Until it happens to me, I'm not going to believe it. And what happened? Verse 26 now. And after eight days, God allowed eight days to pass. 
His disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. With them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. The Lord knew that this was a decision he made by himself. He, the, the, the evil heart of unbelief was operating in Thomas. He refused to believe. He said, don't be unbelieving. Be believing. And I'm challenging you. Stop being unbelieving. Be believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, oh my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There is a blessing, a tremendous blessing for people who believe even though they do not see. Peter made an allusion to this in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, let me read from verse 6 for context. He said, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by faith, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Yes, we have not seen Jesus, but we believe in him. We just don't believe in him because we are talking of, oh, I believe, I believe. No, we believe in him to the point of doing what he tells us to do. As we read the Bible, we read his words. Those of you who have the word of God in red, we read his word, we read his instructions, we follow them. We know that he said that if we believe and we are baptized, he says we'll speak in other tongues. He says we'll carry up poison, we'll drink poison and will not harm us. We'll lift up serpents and they will not, they will not sting us. It doesn't mean that you see a, 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 you see a bottle with poison written on it and you go and drink it. No. If accidentally you drink it, it will not harm you. If the enemy compels you to drink it, poisons you, it will not harm you. If accidentally a snake uh, strikes at you, it's not going to hurt you. We saw that with Paul. Believe. Don't have an evil heart of unbelief. Let's believe God. Let's not be like Israel. No matter what it was they saw of God, they just couldn't bring themselves to accept what God was showing them or what God was doing in their lives. They were unbelieving. Back to Hebrews chapter 3. And um, I think verse... Uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 13. It says, But exhort one another while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of, of sin. Israel could not avoid the deceitfulness of sin because they kept engaging in sinful conduct. Here, we are admonished to exhort one another to help us eliminate this hardness of heart that is through that comes through the deceitfulness of sin. We should engage. It's asking us to engage with other believers on a daily basis. So that through their exhortation, we can draw closer and closer to God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the Bible says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another 
and so much the more as you see the day approaching. These are evil days. These are challenging days. These are challenging times when we have all kinds of things taking place. Launch our fellowship is not a bad idea. You can start one. You can invite people in, in other, other Christians who work around where you work. Go to a restaurant and create a space for yourselves there. Or even in your office, seek the permission of your boss and gather other believers together so that you can exhort one another. Maybe some challenges that you are facing at work. You come together and you share. There are others who have gone through that path before. They would encourage you. They would tell you. I recall once, after, shortly after I became born again, I was facing some serious challenges and I didn't know how to, how to overcome it. Then I remember that a friend's wife was a believer longer than myself. So I went to her and I narrated my story. And she said to me, said, ah, that is Satan trying to draw you back to the world. He wants to make sure that you get back to the world. This is how to overcome him. And she, she, she encouraged me and gave me scriptures and challenged me to, to, to keep on praying. Thank God for her. She's going to be with the Lord now. I'm standing today. I could have fallen off as a young believer. But she was there to encourage me. Seek other believers who have gone before you. Go to them. Don't be ashamed. Tell them what you are, the challenge you are facing. They'll be there to help you. Um, in verse, um, from verse 16. From verse 16. It says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? Whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They could not enter into the promised land. He says, don't be like them. We have a promised land. Heaven is our promised land. Our promised land is not here on earth. The promises of God, even the ones that he speaks to us here on earth, that we see is there to ultimately take us to that one singular promise that is up there in the skies, in heaven, in the presence of Almighty God himself. So what was it that prevented Israel from entering into the promised land? What is it that can stop you and I from getting into the promise of God, that promise of eternity, or even the promises that God has spoken to us that ought to happen here on the earth? A rebellious heart, sinful living, disobedience to the word of God and unbelief. You cannot have a rebellious heart and expect God to bring his promises to pass in your life. If God tells you to do something and that he will bring his promise to pass based on that, then you do that. You cannot act contrary to God and expect his promise to come. Many people not being able to wait. They say, I can't wait for this. And then they go ahead and seek an alternative, which is not from God, which is not of God. That's a rebellious heart. Sinful living. How can you continue in sin and expect God to be happy with you? The same sin that he delivered you from, you now go back to it because you say God has not done what he said he would do to, for me. Where is your waiting? Where is your patience? What of disobedience? When we hear God say, go and do this, we say, no, I'm not going to do it. Actually, one of the reasons why many people are disobedient is sometimes it is fear. We're just afraid of people making fun of us. Afraid of what people will say. Or afraid that, oh, if I go here, something bad may happen to me. And then we don't go. Disobedience. That is what it is. And then there was also the matter of unbelief. All of these things put together 
will act against us when it comes to the matter of faith in God. When it comes to the matter of receiving from God that which he has promised to us. So what do we do? Just keep on living a holy life. Keep on living with God in humility. Make sure that your love for God and your love for all men is intact. Do not allow hatred to be harbored in your own heart towards any man. Be free of all men. The Bible says, as much as lies within you, be at peace with all men and walk in holiness without which no man shall see God. You want to see God? You want to enter into the promises of God? Get rid of rebellion in your heart. Get rid of sinful living. Get rid of a disobedient heart. Remove unbelief far away from you. Stop being unbelieving. Be believing. And finally, in um, verse, four, uh, verse 2 of chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. They heard the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They heard the word of God, but did not apply faith in God to that word. Many of us have heard the word of God, but we have not applied faith. The word of God is not just going to come and stick itself to you. You need to believe it. You need to do whatever it is asking you to do. You need to mix faith with the word of God that you are hearing. And when that happens, you will see God doing what he needs to do. How do we when, it, when we, when we talk of mixing faith with the word of God, one of the crucial things is that we should be quick to act on the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the Bible tells us that when Noah was told by God that he was going to destroy the world and that Noah should build an ark, he moved with reverential fear. He moved quickly to bring it to, to, to begin to build the ark. Even though the Bible records that at that time there was no rain. It had not rained. So he was building the ark on dry land. That was an act of faith. People laughed at him. They made fun of him. But he continued to build on dry ground until 100 years or so after it began to rain. Noah had done everything that God told him to do. Animals were in the boat, were inside the ark. He himself was in there and God locked, shut him in. And then the rain began to fall. He moved quickly with reverential fear. Never delay to do the word of God. Never prevaricate. Never procrastinate rather. When it comes to doing the word of God. Do it quickly. Do it at the right time. In Genesis 22 verse 1 to 3. When God told. Genesis 22 1 to 3. When God told Abraham. To take his only begotten son. His only son Isaac. To go and make him a sacrifice unto God. The Bible says that Abraham moved quickly. The very next morning. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't procrastinate. He grabbed him quickly. And went about to do it. And how God blessed him. Do not prevaricate. Don't be dancing between two opinions. Once you have heard the word of God. Move on it. Many of us have lost out. Because of prevarication. Prevarication is the result of doubt in our hearts. Don't doubt the word of God. Whatever God has told you. Go ahead and do it. I, I, I always like to put it this way. And I don't see it a lot these days. But when I was young. You're traveling on some lonely road. It's a stretch. And then you'll see a pond of water ahead of you. It's just a mirage. But it looks like a pond of water. It looks like the road has been, has been separated. But I noticed that my father would just keep driving on. And we get to the spot that I had seen from a distance. And there's no water. 
Now, what many of us do is when we see a mirage like that, we say, oh, the road has been flooded. We just turn back. We don't keep going. Meanwhile, God said, keep going. You recall in Matthew, in, in Mark chapter 4, I think from verse 35 down, the Lord Jesus said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side in their boat. And they entered in the boat and no sooner than they left the, the, the shore, a storm arose and they were there shivering and they were bailing water out and whatever. And the Lord was there snoozing. So eventually they woke him and said, don't you care? See that we are, we are, we are, we are, the boat is sinking. And the Lord stood up and, 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 and spoke to the, to, to the waves said, peace, be still. And there was calm. They were, they were awed, awe-stricken. So what? He can speak to the wind? What kind of man is this? He had said, let's go over to the other side. Satan merely brought up that to stop it. We know later, because when you get to Mark chapter 5, and when they got to the other side, there was the madman of Gadara on the other side. The goal was to go and set that man free. And because Satan did not want that man to be free, he caused that storm to arise so that they can turn the boat around or remain there and perish. But the Lord was in the boat. That's the operational thing. Call on the name of the Lord. If God says go somewhere and you meet opposition on the road, call on the name of the Lord. We'll be to, he'll be there to rescue you. But do not fail to act promptly. Promptly. Don't delay. Don't prevaricate. Don't procrastinate. Don't allow doubt in your heart. Numbers chapter 9. As I begin to wind down now. Numbers chapter 9. From verse 15 through to verse 23. Numbers chapter 9, from verse 15 through to verse 23. This is about Israel in the wilderness. Numbers 9, 15 to 23. The Bible says, Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, from evening until morning. It was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the clouds settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. And at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey, whether it was two days, a month or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. At the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. The children of Israel had a means by which God spoke to them. It was the sign of the cloud and the fire, the pillar of fire above the tabernacle. So whenever the cloud lifted, they knew it's time to journey. And whenever the cloud lifted and got to a place and stayed in that place, they knew this is the place to come. The Bible says, if the cloud lifted in the morning and stayed in the evening and they moved from one place just to the next place, that is how they journeyed. 
If they stayed at night and by morning the cloud lifts, they would gather again and move. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year, what, how, for as long as the cloud remained, they stayed. Once the cloud lifted, they lifted. We need to move when God says to move. We need to stop when God says to stop. We cannot say, oh Lord, ha, you told me to move in the morning. It's now evening. Why am I stopping? Let's continue this journey now. I don't want to, I don't want to stop. I want to continue. You will be going contrary to the word of God. Let's, let us learn. There were some positives in them. The problem with Israel was that after a while, they became weary that ah, this movement, moving, stopping, moving, is getting too much. And that is the problem that many of us have. We are unable to walk with God by faith because sometimes God just wants us to move in little steps over a period of time. So you move from one place to the other, you say move now. Move from one place to the other, you say move now. We, we cannot afford to have plans when you are walking with God by faith. You can't. Planning is actually contrary to faith. That is the truth. You, your plan is based on the word of God. It is whatever God says, that is your plan. That's why James wrote, I think, in chapter 4, chapter 5. He said, those of you who say you are going to one other city, going, going to that city and set up a business and be there for about two years and make, and make progress and so on and so on. He said, you better, you better learn. And this is what you say. If the Lord wills, I will go to so and so place. Does God will it? If not, stay where you are. Don't be rushing. So in conclusion, I want to say this to us. In the practice of faith, two things are crucial. Two important things. Number one, you, the practitioner, are you saved from sin and sinful living? Because sin is anathema to faith. As long as you are living in sin, you cannot live by faith. To sin is to act contrary to the word of God. Number two, are you sanctified? Because after you have, after you have been saved, the next thing is to be sanctified. Sanctification is the process by which God removes the old nature that is in you and puts in a new nature that can obey God. The problem with man and sin or the problem with man and God that leads to sin is our inability to obey God. Sanctification makes it possible for us to obey God. So a person needs to be sanctified by the Spirit of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says that we are sanctified by the Spirit of God unto obedience. Without sanctification, we cannot obey God. Without the purging of the old nature, because the old nature is stubborn, is rebellious, is disobedient, it cannot listen to God. But through sanctification, a new nature is put in us that enables us to obey God. So the practitioner must be saved from sin. Moses must be sanctified unto obedience and must be subservient to the word of God. You cannot place yourself above the word of God. You must be subservient to the word of God. Whatever the word of God tells you to do, you do it. As you are reading the Bible, in your daily communion, you encounter a passage where God is speaking to you and saying, this is what I expect of my children. If you were not living that way, you instantly begin to live that way. Be subservient to the word of God. Don't be subservient to your pastor. Be subservient to the word of God. If your pastor says something that is not in agreement with the word of God, jettison your pastor's statement. Follow the word of God. That is the truth. Your pastor is not God. His word is not law. Don't let anybody fool you. His word can only be law when it is in agreement with the word of God. It is the word of God that makes his word to be law. But where his word contradicts the word of God, I beg you, follow the word of God. Don't follow the word of your pastor. That's why you need to know what is in the word of God. 
Finally, the practitioner must be a student of the word of God. You must study the word of God. You must be studying the word of God and your teacher is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we don't need to have any teacher. The Holy Spirit is there to teach us. The anointing that is in us, he will teach us all things. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is going to teach us all things when he comes. In fact, the Lord Jesus said that. So, you the, the, you the practitioner, you must be saved. You must be sanctified. You must be subservient to the word of God. You must be a student of the word of God. Can you imagine somebody who is not saved? Somebody who has no, who doesn't want to have anything to do with God. Yet, he wants to appropriate the promises of God. The promises of God which come by faith. How is that possible? I once had a young man who phoned in on the times when I had a radio broadcast. And he wanted me to pray for him to get a job. And I asked him if he was born again. He said no. And I said, why, do, why are you not born again? He said, doesn't have time for that now. I said, and yet you want me to pray to that God whom you have no time for to give you a job. How does it work? If you're not born again and you're listening to this, you, you need to find out how to do this thing. Just talk to God. Admit that you're a sinner. That's basically what it is. Admit that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ is the Savior and that you need him to come and save you. That is your wicked ways. Repent of your, of your rebellion against God and God will accept you and save your soul. And then the next stage is to be sanctified. Open up your heart to God and allow him to remove that nature that is rebellious against God. If you are not sanctified, this heart of rebellion, this hardness of heart will persist. This evil heart of unbelief will persist. The solution to it is sanctification. Where you allow the word of God and the spirit of God coming in to remove everything that you always had in your heart. That you always believed. And now believe the word of God by the agency of the spirit of God. Bring yourself under the word of God and be a student of the word of God. The second crucial thing is the God in whom we have faith. Three things that we need to know about the God in whom we have faith. One, the inf infallibility of his word. His word is infallible. When God speaks, that word stands. It stands above any other thing. Imagine God wanting to move Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem and giving instruction to the Roman emperor at the time to take a census and ask everybody to go to their hometowns just because he wanted to move Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born there because he had spoken it. There's nothing the word of God cannot do. The infallibility of the word of God, you must believe it. Secondly, you must believe the invincibility of his power. God is all powerful. He can do anything. So the fact that he's not doing something does not mean that he's not powerful. It just means that there is a reason why he's not doing it. Find out from him. Lord, I'm not doubting your power. I'm not doubting your ability. I know you can do all things. But for some reason, you're not doing this. Why? If he wants to tell you, he'll tell you. If not, just trust him. Why don't you just trust him? He's able to do anything. I think we, we looked at, we, we, we saw that at, at some point in time, uh, when we looked at Matthew chapter 8, the, the leper who went to the Lord and said, I know that thou canst make me whole if thou wilt. Said, I'm not doubting your ability. I just want to know if it is your will. And the Lord said, I will. I want to make you whole, be, be, be made whole. We should never doubt the power of God. Understand the invisibility of his power. And finally, the impossibility of him failing. He can't fail. God can never fail. These three things are crucial. The infallibility of his word, the invincibility of his power, and the impossibility of him failing. God has never failed. He's not going to begin to fail on your account. When he makes a promise, 
He keeps it. When you put these things together, what do you arrive at? Trust God absolutely. You, the practitioner, you have been saved, you are sanctified, you are subservient to the word of God. You are a student of the word of God. You now know the infallibility of the word of God, the invincibility of the power of God, the impossibility of God failing. So trust God absolutely. Total surrender to God. Like they would say, let go and let God. Surrender. Surrender your life to him. Surrender your plans to him. Surrender everything. To, just hand everything to God. The Bible says, casting your cares upon him for he cares for you. Take it and just drop it at his feet and say, Lord, I'm committing my, heart, my, my life into you. Paul wrote, I think in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, the B part of it. He said, I know whom I have believed in. I am fully persuaded that whatever I commit into his hands, he is able to keep until that day. Give your life to him. He will take care of your life. Surrender everything about yourself to him. That career you, are, you think you are holding on to, he might not even want it for you. Surrender your life to him. Total surrender. Let go and let God. Secondly, depend on God absolutely. Because God cannot fail. Because he's all powerful. Because his word is infallible. Depend on God absolutely. What does that mean? Commune with God on a daily basis. Pray every day. Read the Bible every day. Meditate on the word of God on a daily basis. Spend time with God daily. Commune with God daily. Let God tell you what you should do. The Bible records how the Lord Jesus Christ would wake up early in the morning in Mark chapter 1 verse 35 and go to a secluded place and pray. And there he would know what next to do. It was a daily communion. He did not rest on the success of yesterday. There was need to move forward and he did move forward. In reality, there's nothing like the success of yesterday. We only have the act of yesterday, not the success of yesterday. Whatever we did yesterday is gone. We move on to, tomorrow, to, to the next day of what God wants for us. If we are going to live with God by faith, we must learn these lessons that Israel acted contrary to God in the wilderness. And many of them were strewn. Their corpses were strewn all over the wilderness. We don't want to die with our corpses strewn all over the earth, forgotten forever. We have a place of eternity. The Lord Jesus said, anybody that believes in him shall not die. Even if he die, he will live again. Our faith in him must be resolute. Today, if you will hearken to his voice, do not be like Israel in the wilderness. Eliminate everything of that filled human nature in you and seek the replacement with the nature of God. God bless you and good.